I'm Megan Armstrong, and this is the Six Feet Above podcast. Six Feet Above was created when I started to share my story of spending 16 years wanting to be six feet under to now living a life full and happy six feet above. The more I started to talk about it, my struggles, my past, the more I realized that people were genuinely interested and not judgmental at all, which is what I feared for so long. And in fact, other people wanted to talk about their story as well, and for some reason trusted me to do so. So the Six Feet Above podcast is my way of helping to share other people's stories, finding out what works for them to create a life of happiness. Before we start this episode, I wanted to let you know that it has some explicit language and some very serious subject matter. It may be triggering or sensitive to certain people. Please listen with discretion. I'm Megan Armstrong, and this is my story. I wish someone would have told me that it was okay, that I wasn't crazy, and that just because I wished I wasn't alive didn't mean there was something really wrong with me. That those feelings of inexplicable sadness and depression are actually more common than most people like to admit. Sure, I needed a lot of help, but feeling like it had to be fixed made me feel even worse. By the time I was 16, I was six feet tall. I was a great athlete. I had parents who loved each other and adored me. I drove my own car. I was popular at school. We lived in a big house with a gorgeous pool and a huge backyard. And from the outside, I had everything a teenager could actually want. But before my 17th birthday, I was diagnosed with clinical depression. Nothing tragic ever happened to me. I was never beaten, never molested. I was never addicted to drugs or alcohol. No one close to me had ever died. I was in perfect health physically, but I felt like I had no reason to be sad, which made me feel even worse about it. My parents could see that I was struggling as my day-to-day life was affected and my attitude had changed. I pulled away from my friends and family. I became really angry, and I remember them saying, just tell us what you want. And all I could say is, I just want to be happy. I just don't know how. It sounds so simple, but it took me over 16 years to figure out that happiness is not a choice. Happiness is a habit, and you are completely in charge of creating your own habits. I'm Megan Armstrong, and this is the Six Feet Above podcast. Several things may have caused my depression, like the loneliness of being an only child and the pressure knowing that my parents wanted more, or it could have been that I was an incredible swimmer since the age of five, but that began to go downhill when I was about 15, or the fact that who I thought was the love of my life broke up with me when I was 16, or maybe it was just simply a chemical imbalance that made all of those things even worse than they actually were. Not only was I depressed, but I was angry. I was mean to my parents. I was mad that they even brought me into this world. I was mean to friends and strangers, and some days it was just easier to stay in bed. A few months after my 16th birthday, my boyfriend at the time broke up with me. As for many teenage girls, this was devastating. But on top of everything else I was going through, this was the tipping point. The tipping point where I decided I wanted to end my life. The pain I felt was no longer worth struggling through, and I was tired of pretending that everything was okay. My friend Morgan drove me home that day, and I cried the entire way. I was ashamed to tell her just how bad my thoughts had gotten and didn't know how to ask for help. I mean, how do you tell another 16-year-old that you would rather die than see the next day? So I simply said I was sad about the breakup, but I'd be fine, and I went inside. 
The next few minutes were kind of a blur. I remember sobbing uncontrollably on my kitchen floor for a little while to the point where I couldn't catch my breath. Then this, this sort of calm came over me and I stood up and I grabbed a knife. In some ways I was terrified to do it, but I just couldn't bear the amount of pain I was going through anymore. So I took a deep breath and I flipped over my left wrist. only to be startled by the phone ringing at the very same moment. It was like I was in this weird trance and the ring snapped me out of it. I dropped the knife and ran over to the phone. Sure enough, it was Morgan. Thank God she only lived three minutes away. She was calling to check on me and and said that she was worried about how upset I seemed. That's when I told her I felt like I couldn't control my own thoughts, that my brain was constantly running wild with sad and lonely things but I had trouble putting them into words to anybody. I told her I felt like I was going crazy. Morgan saved my life that day and she doesn't even know it. She encouraged me to talk to my parents because she knew them well and she knew just how much that they loved me. And that's the moment I realized that I can never take my own life. My parents prayed and spent years trying to have kids and I was their only child. I couldn't do that to them. I've never told my parents that story because it's kind of embarrassing. I was ashamed and afraid I would disappoint them and I never wanted to worry them more than they already did. And in fact, this is the first time I'm saying it aloud and the first time they'll hear it. From 16 years old until about 22, I was in and out of therapy psychologists, psychiatrists, counselors. I was on one antidepressant after another, trying to find the perfect one and the perfect dose. I would be okay for a while and then something would set me off. I would have some really great days and weeks and then some really awful weeks and months. I was very up and down, but I had learned how to hide the really bad times for fear of being judged and people thinking I was crazy. Sophomore year in college, I started dating a guy from my hometown that, oddly enough, was my very first boyfriend in eighth grade. We would break up, get back together, and break up again. You know how it goes. He knew I had been struggling with depression for several years, but he never quite understood it and what it can do to someone. There was a night junior year that we broke up, and I told him I didn't want to live anymore. He was at school six hours away and had no idea what to do with that information, and he was worried I would hurt myself. So he called his dad, and his dad called campus security. Well, about an hour later, I had two campus security guys knock on my door. I was so incredibly embarrassed. I played it off as me being dramatic and a typical 21-year-old whose boyfriend just broke up with her. But the thoughts were real. The emotions were real. And so was the sadness. We ended up getting back together that summer, and he transferred to a college just 40 minutes away. At the same time, I started to struggle with my weight. So my doctor decided to switch my medications since some of them can cause severe weight gain. One night senior year, I got so mad at him for not answering my phone calls that I drove from school to where he went and I broke into his apartment to take back everything I had given him. I smashed his phone that he had left behind and literally thought I was going insane. I remember thinking I was having an out-of-body experience, like the normal me would never do something like that. He knew I was struggling worse that year, but he had no idea how to help. And the last time that we broke up, all he said was, Meg, 
I love you, but I can't make you happy. You need to figure out that on your own. It was then that I realized that he was right. No one and no thing was ever going to just make me happy. I had to figure it out. I went back to seeing a psychiatrist at 22 to explain these really intense ups and downs. And it was different than when I was a teenager where mostly it was all downs and just overwhelming sadness and physically and mentally just felt lethargic. And that's when I was re-diagnosed with bipolar. My doctor had said that the medication I was on for depression, the one that they switched me to for the weight gain, was actually detrimental for someone who was bipolar. So I was put on a mood stabilizer, which is used for seizures, as well as an antidepressant. It definitely helped me not go off the deep end, but in the end, it didn't fix me. And I couldn't get the words out of my head that my ex had said, Meg, you need to figure it out. At 24, I moved to LA to do the whole acting thing. I was pretty stable, or so I thought, and that's when the eating disorder started. It was a way for me to control something when I didn't feel like I was in control of my own thoughts or life. But food? Food I could eat when I was feeling down and get rid of to make me feel better. I don't think anyone suspected I was bulimic since that's when I got involved in the fitness industry. I was working out at least two hours a day. I started teaching spin and I did some personal training. I was doing all these things to keep my body looking a certain way and people would make comments about how great I looked and how fit I was. I felt like a fraud. Here I was coaching people to be their best, yet I knew I wasn't practicing what I preached. There wasn't a catalyst or any defining moment I can put my finger on say, that was it. That was the moment that I decided to change my life. It was just some random morning after a night of binging when I was 29. I woke up and I looked at myself in the mirror and literally thought, I hate you. I hated myself. I hated what I was doing to myself. I used to weigh myself every morning and that day I finally realized that the number on the scale would never make me happy. The amount of time I spent on my physical self meant nothing if I didn't gain control of my mental self. I didn't want to live that way anymore, but I didn't want to die either, so I had one choice. I had to do everything in my power to change the way I was living and thinking. And let's be honest, I really wasn't living. I was simply existing. It was that day while looking at myself in the mirror when I finally took responsibility for my own life. When I said to myself, you're not a victim because you had depression or were bipolar, that I couldn't blame anyone else that this was a life I was given, but it would be my fault if I didn't do anything to make it better. I knew I needed to let go of the anger and stop placing blame on all my circumstances. I admitted to myself that I was a negative person and that this was a habit I had been practicing all those years. The next few years, I worked really hard at being aware of my own thoughts of breaking the habits that I had grown up with. I started practicing small changes and I would notice when negative thoughts started to take over. For example, really simple situation is I used to get really bad road rage and I would take that anger into work with me and let it ruin my day. And let's face it, in LA, that would be pretty much a daily occurrence. So I practiced not getting mad. I would acknowledge the initial thought or emotion, but then I would let it go because in the grand scheme of things, that small little instance, it wouldn't matter two hours later. I practiced letting myself feel the emotion, then told myself it's really not a big deal. That one brief moment shouldn't affect the rest of my day. And then after a while, road rage wasn't an issue anymore, but I would practice that same attitude with bigger events. 
and stronger emotions so that when I had a few deaths in the family at 30 years old, I knew how to handle it. I learned that I had more control over my brain and my emotions than I had ever known. At 31, I went off all medications. I know that they were incredibly helpful in getting me through some of the toughest years of my life, but I haven't taken any since. Instead, I continue to practice more positive thoughts and have started to share my story, which is more therapeutic than I ever, ever would have imagined. Remember my ex-boyfriend from college? We've remained great friends, and last year, his dad took his own life. He called me shortly after and said, Meg, I finally get it, and I'm sorry I didn't understand what you were going through. He encouraged me to share my story of how I went from wanting to be six feet under to living a life full and happy six feet above. We all have a story. We all have a past. You have to allow yourself to feel pain, to feel sad, to grieve, to feel lonely, to feel frustrated, to feel disappointed, whatever it is. It's up to each of us to take responsibility for what we have been given and what we've been through and stop placing blame on how that's affecting us or will affect us in the future. You have to accept yourself for where you are right now, but know that you don't have to feel this way forever. I'm no longer ashamed of my past. I'm finally sharing my story in hopes of helping those who don't know where to turn and who are feeling lonely and stuck. But no one can help you until you're willing and truly want to help yourself, until you decide that you want a better life. The stories you will hear each week are of people like you and me who have a past and how they have used their struggles to shape their lives today. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Six Feet Above. I'm your host, Megan Armstrong. Subscribe so you never miss another episode and follow me on Instagram at Six Feet Above Podcast to keep the conversation going. Tune in next week for a brand new episode. This episode is a product of Audiographies, produced by Denor Sapolia, edited by Jacob Smolian, and the music was by Keenan Willis, funded by yours truly. I'll see you next time.